0: everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today, I got to talk to Major Andrew Murray, current Asbury Seminary student and officer in the Salvation Army. Andrew has been a Salvation Army pastor since ordination in 1985. For 37 years, he has served as a congregational pastor both in the U.S. and in Southern Africa. He started a master's in pastoral counseling in the fall of 2019 when his wife had major spine surgery and he took a year of medical sabbatical to help her. He found the classes at Asbury to be a form of self-care family, and distraction. In today's conversation, we talk about his calling to the Salvation Army, his current role, and how he is finding God in the midst of this season. Let's listen. Major Andrew Murray, I am delighted to get to talk to you today. So you're a current student at the seminary, a Salvation Army officer. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to me.
1: It is my pleasure to be with you today.
0: So I have to ask, your name's Andrew Murray. Do you ever get confused with the tennis star?
1: No, but I do get confused with the Christian author. Oh, okay. So Andrew Murray wrote twenty-eight books, and I often get asked, "Did I write them?" Now, and you mind you, yes of course. <laughs> well, he he died, you know, a hundred years ago. Oh. So if I was the author of that, then. I'd be a lot older than I am now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. That's but I have, funny. Given,
1: I have given away the books as Christmas gifts.
0: That's that's really funny. I love your without, sense of humor.
1: <laughs> with, without, without any comment, just I've given them out too. Yes.
0: That's funny. So how did you become a member of the Salvation Army?
1: So I grew up in the Salvation Army. My parents were Salvation Army officers. Um, My grandparents and even a great-grandmother was a Salvation Army officer. So for many generations, uh, my family's been in the Salvation Army and been Salvation Army pastors. Um, My great-grandmother served in India and died serving as a Salvation Army officer in India. My mother's father, my grandfather served as a Salvation Army officer in China and Iceland and Africa, served all over the world. Um, as a Salvation Army officer, my parents served as Salvation Army officers here in the United States. Okay. And so I grew up as a child. The Salvation Army was my church. It was what I knew. Mm-hmm. And um, a Salvation Army officer was something I never wanted to be.
0: <laughs> I understand that. So since you never wanted to do it, how, how did you start doing it?
1: Well, I always wanted to be a military officer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's from, from a very young age. I was just fascinated with the military, and I wanted to be a military officer. And um, as a matter of fact, for junior high school and high school, I went away to a boarding school to a military school. Really, uh, my parents were not happy about the idea. Um, it kind of happened by chance. Um, my dad was a Rotarian, and in New Jersey, and. He said to me one day, "Andrew, would you like to sip, skip school and come and see a real general at Rotary Club today?" Mm-hmm. So I was a fifth grader. The idea of skipping school and meeting a real general from the U.S. Army was very cool to me. So of I course. said, "Okay." <laughs> so I went to the Rotary Club with meeting with my dad. I sat there, and this general, his name was General Roberts. He was there and he was had just become the superintendent of this military school and he was actually out recruiting for kids to attend his school Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and um, afterwards I went up and talked to him and um, my dad told me don't think about going there because a year's tuition is more than we make Mm -hmm. and so it's just not going to happen and so I went up and I talked to the General Roberts and he said, we're looking for boys just like you.
2: Uh-huh. And I
1: said, I uh, and so I wrote to him. He gave me his business card. And as a fifth grader, I wrote to him without my parents knowing. And I said to him, I really want to come to your school. My parents told me that we can't afford to come, but I want to go to your military school. Wow. So that was as a fifth grader.
0: Yeah, you knew what you wanted. That's awesome. I knew what I wanted,
1: and it, so apparently he got in touch with my parents after he received the letter,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: he got in touch with my parents, and my parents gave him permission to talk to me again.
2: Uh huh.
1: And he got back in touch with me and said, "If you really want to come to the school, we'll find scholarships for you to come."
0: That's awesome.
1: And so I went to New York Military Academy, and through junior high school and high school, and when I was When I graduated from high school, I went through ROTC to become a U.S. Army officer. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And that was my focus, and that's what I wanted to do. I loved it.
0: Yeah. So how did you get from one army to the other army?
1: So I always appreciated what my parents did. Yeah. But as a teenager, quite honestly, truthfully, I wasn't a Christian. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I attended church. Because that was what was expected in our household. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have a relationship with God, and I had no desire to have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And I had no desire to do all of that hard work that my dad did, and I watched my parents do growing up.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They
1: sacrificed of themselves to help other people. And quite honestly, I didn't see the point of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, When I was doing the ROTC thing and and a cadet to become a, a U.S. Army officer, God got hold of me one day. And um, he said to me, you know, Andrew, you can do what you love doing, but it doesn't mean you'll be happy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Until you do what I want you to do. That's when you'll be truly happy. Oh, wow. And so as a, at that point in my young 20s, I had, to, I had to respond to what God was saying to me, which was, mm-hmm. do I really want to have peace and happiness in my life?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or do I want to do my own thing?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And at that point, I realized that true happiness comes from obeying God. And I had this, this life-changing experience of coming into a relationship with Jesus.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it just changed my life.
0: Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, because you obviously grew up in a Christian home. um, So like hearing from God wouldn't have been a foreign concept to you. But when you say that, what do you mean? Because different people mean different things when they talk about that.
1: So for me, it was a, it was, I've had a few times in my life where God has almost spoken out loud. Mm Mm-hmm. Partially probably because I'm a little slow sometimes and (laughs) I don't listen really well. And it's his version of hitting me with two by four. Uh
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know, my dad used to smack me upside the head, say, Andrew. Right? (laughs) God does that to us sometimes too. And in this case, you know, it wasn't skywriting in the sky. Mm -hmm. It wasn't it wasn't letters in the sky, but it was almost an audible voice. Really? And I've only had that happen a very few times in my life. Mm But that was one of them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where God just spoke in such a way that I either had to say, "God, I accept this," or "God, I reject you."
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And what I said say, to God, "Oh, go ahead." And I said to God, "Okay."
0: Yeah. Was was that the moment that you would have said I was called to the Salvation Army? Yes. Yes. Okay.
1: Because it was clearly God was not only calling me to to Him,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but He was calling me to serve Him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was this idea of of giving of myself of my desires of my will, mm-hmm. and saying to God, God, I will be your servant, whatever that means.
0: Yeah,
1: I'll go wherever you ask me to go.
0: Yeah, I do think it's interesting that you wanted to be in the military, and instead you were in you are in the Salvation Army, and I really do think that. God is like, you can, you can, I want you to be in my army. Like you have a passion for the military, but come be in my army.
1: And that is very true. And the things that I learned, learned in the military and the training that I received from the military helped me as a Salvation Army officer.
0: Really? How so?
1: It, well, it taught, it taught me leadership, uh-huh. taught me how to work with people, how to work with teams, how to do things together, how to accomplish, be goal-driven. And all of that is helpful in the ministry.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, tell me about your career in the Army. You've served a variety of places. You're currently in New York, but you've right. been in South Africa and I don't know where all. So tell me a little bit about your 37 years with the Salvation Army.
1: So when we, the Salvation Army Seminary has many regional seminaries. hmm And so depending on where you go to seminary is the geographic area where you will stay. Oh, okay. So in the United States, we have four seminaries. And so in 1983, I went into seminary in New York. Um, One of the people who went to seminary with me had just gotten his MDiv from Asbury. And even though he already had his Asbury MDiv, he still needed to go through the Salvation Army Seminary for two years. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so, so we went to seminary together And so that means that for the most part, I stay in the geographic Northeast. Okay. So in the U S there's a seminary in Atlanta, in New York, in Chicago, and in LA. Okay. And depending on which seminary you go to, that's the geographic area that you serve it.
0: Okay. That makes sense.
1: Now, if, if the Salvation Army wants you to serve outside of your geographic area, they have to ask you and you have to say, yes, I'll go. So when we went to Africa, and we've been to Africa twice, we've served overseas twice. Um, when we went to Africa, we, the Salvation Army asked if we would be willing to go. And we had to say, yes, we will go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we were first commissioned, we went to uh when we were first ordained, we went to a, a Salvation Army in Rochester, New York. We were there just for a year, just to get our feet wet. And we were the junior pastors there. We had some experienced officers who we were serving with, and we had a great opportunity to learn from them how to be a Salvation Army pastor. And then we went from there to a very small rural uh, New York community in upstate New York, up on the Canadian border in northern New York. Oh, wow. And we were there for two years. And then our third year of ministry, we went to Africa. Okay. Now, that was... For the Salvation Army, that's very unusual. Usually, young pastors do not go overseas.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think they want you to have a little more experience before sending you yes. <laughs> so far away.
1: And, um, but they were, this Southern Africa was in desperate need for young, white, English speaking pastors. Mm-hmm. Now, this was in the late 80s. This was still in, during the apartheid era. And so, Um, in 1988, we moved to Africa and it was my wife and myself. We had a two-year-old little girl and, um, the three of us moved to Africa, not at all knowing what was going to happen.
2: Wow. Wow.
0: So how did you feel going so far away from home, you know, with that young and then having a young family too?
1: Well, also that was before the days of internet.
0: Oh, right. So you couldn't connect with couldn't
1: Zoom. You couldn't email. You couldn't. We had it. So international phone calls were very, very expensive. Mm -hmm. And my parents paid for us to have a 10-minute call once a week to the U.S. But in order to do that, we set an egg timer. And so we would say goodbye when we started the conversation. And when the egg timer went off, we had to hang up. Because you couldn't afford more minutes. Right. Wow. And so we had one 10 minute call a week to the US.
0: Wow. So, what did you, what was your role while you were serving in Africa?
1: So, that time we were pastor of a, a small to mid sized congregation, probably 175 people. We also had an uh, 80 bed emergency shelter. It's called a goodwill center. And so we had families or or mostly it was families. We also had a children's crash, and we had a pension block of pensioners who so senior citizens who had a very, very small room, and that was their home to live in. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of our compound and And my wife and I ran that. so um, The pensioner block had, I believe it was 15 rooms, but they had a very tiny room, just enough space for a single bed, a very small dresser and a a chair, like a folding chair. And that was all the space they had. They had no lounge. They had no living room. They had no, nothing like that. And so I was a Rotarian and I talked with our local Rotary Club about building on an addition to the pension block so that we could have a living room Mm -hmm. so that the pensioners could have, the seniors could have a living room space. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And the Rotary Club thought that was a wonderful idea. And my Rotary Club from the U.S. had decided that they, I wrote to them and asked if they would take this on as a project and they partnered. So the two Rotary Clubs partnered together. And I was so excited because we were able to make this happen. And the time was coming when, when, it was going to happen. And these trucks pulled into our compound and they had all the stuff on it. They had bricks and they had windows, no glass in it. Um, mm-hmm. We had to, but mm-hmm. cheap glass and we had to blaze the, and they dropped all this stuff off and they drove away.
0: Oh, so you all had to build it.
1: Well, I didn't know that. Right. <laughs> so I called up the Rotary Club and said, when are the contractors coming? And they said, what do you mean? We got you the stuff.
0: Yeah, build it.
1: <laughs> so I called the men together from the congregation. And I'm in my 20s. I'm a, I'm a young pastor, and I'm an American who's optimistic. And I was over my head. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, what are we going to do? And they said, well, we'll just build it. And so I learned all about construction that year. Wow how to how to put how to lay bricks, how to glaze glass, how to put up trusses. and uh, we built a we built a lounge, wow. Now I've been back since when we were back there just a few years ago. The lounge is still there. It's still one place and it hasn't fallen down.
0: <laughs> amazing It's <is> amazing <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So as you're talking, I'm thinking about you're saying, because you saw your parents give them themselves, you know so much that you never wanted to do that. Obviously, you changed your mind. God changed your mind. But that's what you've done for thirty seven years. Like you just told me a story about you knew nothing about contracting. You figured it out. I'm guessing you put in more than forty hours a week, like you're constantly like giving and serving. I mean, I'm not sure how exactly to word this, but how do you feel about it now that you're living the life that you didn't think you would like?
1: There are days when I don't enjoy what I have to do, but I'm fairly close to retirement now. We're looking at retirement now. Mm-hmm. We're at the end of our, of our active ministry and somebody asked me very recently, if you had to start all over again, would you do it?:
2: Yeah,
1: I'd do it in a second.
0: Really, why?
1: because there's no there's no greater thing than doing what you know God wants you to do. We're That's there you- because God wants us there. Yeah. We're doing what God asks us to do.:
2: Yeah.
1: If you want real satisfaction, if you want really joy, that comes from listening and obeying to God, from doing what he asks you,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because he's our loving father, right? Right. I mean, I have three grown-up children.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: have grandchildren. I want the very best for my kids. Yeah. I don't want them to go through hardship. I don't want them to go through hurts. They do, and and when they do, we try to help them, but I want the very best for them. Mm-hmm. Now, if I, as a human being, can want the very best for my kids, what does God want for us? Mm, yeah, so true. And, and the
0: true
1: truth, truth is, God's is. a lot smarter than I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, God actually knows what he's doing. <laughs> So when he says, I want you to go here, mm-hmm. to, to me, it might seem like a stretch. Mm-hmm. But to God, he's saying, this is what's best for you.
0: Yeah. So why have you stayed the course with the army for 37 years? Because there are a variety of ways, you know, to serve serve the Lord. And not everybody... Does um, stays in the same ministry for so long? So why has this been the right thing for you and where God has led you?
1: For one thing, in the south, so the longest we were ever in any appointment was eleven years.
0: Oh wow, that's a long time.
1: So we were eleven years at in inner city Philadelphia,
2: Uh
1: and it was an urban inner city ministry. It was wonderful. It was amazing. It was one of our most joyful appointments that we've ever had
2: Mm
1: -hmm. it's when we look back at and say that was one of the highlights of our ministry it was very different for us it was inner city it was not uh yeah i mean it was just very different for us and we were there 11 years Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but from there we went to africa again
2: oh wow
1: so that was our second time in africa Uh now now we're experienced officers we're older so while we've been, while I've been a Salvation Army for 37 years, my wife has been a Salvation Army officer for 38 years. Um, it's always something new.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So mm-hmm. the appointment I'm in now, I'm in an administrative appointment at our headquarters. Mm-hmm. And uh, my job, I'm an education officer, and my job is to help Salvation Army pastors who are doing their continuing education. Okay. So that's my job.
0: So you get to mentor those who are a little exactly. younger coming behind you.
1: Exactly. Oh, that's I get really some,
0: awesome.
1: I get to do some undergrad teaching, and I get, to do, I get to mentor people. And so for me, that's very fulfilling.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But this is new. We've only been here for a year. Okay. And so in this year, so this is all new stuff to me. Yeah. So even though I've been a Salvation Army pastor for a long, long time,
2: yeah,
1: every time you go to a new appointment, it's something new.
0: Yeah, and that that sounds exciting. It is. It sounds challenging, but learning, having new things would be exciting too.
1: Right. And in the Salvation Army, every appointment, even every congregational appointment is different. Mm -hmm. Because the social ministries that we do and everything is geared towards that community. Um, So in our last congregational appointment in the States, in the summertime, we fed thousands of children lunch every day
2: mm-hmm.
1: as part of a summer feeding program. We had this massive feeding program, but we also had a, a home, uh, house or a, a program for um, drug addicts who were actively using mm-hmm. and trying to get them to get to the point where they would go into a rehab program. And so it was this transitional thing from an active user to try to help them come somewhere else and change the pattern of life that they're in so that they can be whole. Mm -hmm. So that was new to me. It's something very different.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: In another appointment, we had Alzheimer's unit and we had an adult daycare for Alzheimer's patients. Very different. Mm -hmm. So every appointment is different. Yeah. Because the need of each community is different. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. That is what I love about the Salvation Army is that uh, it seems like they're, you're very good at showing people the practical faith, you know, like meeting people's needs, serving them, showing and showing them Jesus at the same right. time.
1: Well, we wear the S's on our uniform, mm-hmm. and lots of people think that the S's stand for Salvation Soldier or something like that, but that's oh, not yeah. true. Really? No. The S's say that I'm saved to serve. I didn't know that. Yes. So the whole uniform, the whole concept is that God has saved me, He's redeemed me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was a sinner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I couldn't earn my salvation. But God gave it to me as a gift. Mm-hmm. And because I've been saved, now I have to serve. And so I go out to serve others in the name of Jesus.
2: Yeah.
1: William Booth had a, had a saying, he said, Soup, soap, and salvation.
0: <laughs> True.
1: And so if you have somebody who hasn't eaten in a day or two days, and you say to them, I want to talk to you about God,
0: mm-hmm.
1: chances are they're not going to listen to you.
0: Yeah. They can't hear you.
1: Because what they can hear is their stomach rumbling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you say, Let me give you a meal in the name of Jesus. Let me take care of this need first. Mm -hmm. You have this immediate need. Let me help you with this. Now, let me tell you why I helped you with this. You know, we're not very different. I, too, was lost. But let me tell you who saved me. Mm -hmm. His name is Jesus.
0: Much more... To meet the, the physical needs alongside the spiritual needs and to couple those together.
1: So William Booth's hierarchy was soup, then soap, mm-hmm. then salvation. <laughs> that you had to build one on the next.
0: Yeah, and you're building relationship at the same time.
1: Exactly. So if a person has no self-esteem, if a person has no self-worth, no self-value, how can he accept that the, there's a God who loves him? right because he has no value yeah
0: for sure and so
1: so they each build on each other and that's that's kind of the beauty of how the salvation army lots of people don't think of us as a church
0: right yeah yeah
1: most people don't think of us as a denomination which we are
2: Mm
1: -hmm. or break off of the methodist and for 150 plus years you know the salvation army has been there but most people think of us as a, as a social service agency. Yeah. Now, folks who have no relationship with God, folks who have no desire to have a relationship with God, how likely are they to walk into your local congregation? We want them to. Yeah. But how <laughs> likely are they to walk into your local congregation?
0: Not very likely without the relationship being built and needs without, being met. Without yeah. something. Yes.
1: But people with no understanding of God at all will come into a Salvation Army building and say, I need help. Yeah, We know that you are there to help.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm sure you have lots of stories like this because we already established when we were talking before we hit record that you have lots of stories. But can you tell me a story about someone whose life you saw changed because of the work that you or the Salvation Army is doing
1: sure let me tell you a story about a little girl her name was becky
2: now becky
1: had a mom and dad she had two older siblings but dad was an alcoholic and dad was abusive and the best thing that ever happened in becky's life was when her dad when she was one Her dad left. Mm. Now, dad didn't really leave him. And I found out later, really what happened was mom took the kids and left dad.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Because it was an abusive situation. Mm -hmm. Now, mom really didn't have a lot of skills. She was a seamstress. She worked jobs the best she could. They had not a lot of money. They lived in a house where they had no running water. They had a pump. Mm they had an outhouse they had a metal tub in the kitchen that they filled with water from the pump and the kids took turns taking a bath once a week wow now becky got to go first because she was the cleanest
0: <laughs> yep
1: okay um so that was her life i don't remember how many schools she went to in her in her elementary and high school thing, I think it was like, it was more than 10. She never stayed in the house long. Wow. They were always moving.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Her constant for her was the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. There were people there who loved her as her. She was Becky. She was important. There was an old couple in that, ch- in that congregation who really loved on her. And they, they, she went to a program called Sunbeams, which is like, brownies or girl scouts and she started becoming active at the salvation army and doing stuff and she had self-value and she had self-worth she was loved Mm -hmm. when she got through high school she was encouraged by the person by the pastor at the salvation army by the officer there that she could be the first person in her family ever to go to college wow and she decided to go Now, she worked at the Salvation Army. to to, She was their their bookkeeper to help pay for, you know, she's a college student. Mm -hmm. And it was a small little Salvation Army in a small little town. And she was doing her thing. And it was all great. Mm -hmm. In the end, God God got hold of her. And she's decided to go to seminary. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And we got married. (laughs) Wow. And my children. And my grandchildren are there because somebody loved Becky into the kingdom.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Statistically, Becky should have been pregnant by the time she was 15. Mm -hmm. Statistically, Becky should be an alcoholic. Statistically, Becky should have dropped out of school. Mm -hmm. Statistically, Becky had very little hope. But somebody was there for her.
2: Mm.
1: Somebody loved her unconditionally. Wow. Somebody showed her Jesus and my children are the outcome of that.
2: Yeah.
0: That's a powerful story. That's a like, that's a big why for what you do, why you do what you do.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome.
1: And awesome. we've seen we've seen children now uh-huh. who have been kids who have come in while we've been pastors. And we're old enough now to have those guys grow up and become Salvation Army pastors.
0: That's really cool.
1: And so it lives on, not through us. We're getting ready to retire. Our time is almost done. Mhm. Uh-huh. But it lives on generationally through us.
0: Yeah. And how neat to be able to see, because we don't all get to see kind of the legacy, maybe that we're leaving or that we hope we're leaving, you know, but you're getting to see that. Right. Yeah. So how did, oh, go ahead.
1: And we get to see that all over the world. Yeah. Because we have kids now who in Africa, we, we, we in the 80s, who when we went back just a few years ago, were now the adults of our congregation.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And we have kids who now became Salvation Army officers. The children's home that we have for girls in, in Africa just recently, in January, a new past Salvation Army officer has gone in to take over that work. And he was someone who we taught and ordained. And so the next generation is, is, is already coming through and it's happening.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. So how did you and your wife meet then? Was it at the Salvation Army Seminary? No. Okay.
1: Um, so my wife and my sister worked at a Salvation Army camp together. Mm-hmm. So they were friends. My sister is older than me. My wife is actually older than me. And I was the little brother. Uh-huh. So I wasn't cool. (laughs) So um, my sister and and my wife were friends. And um, but when we went to when I went to seminary, my wife was a year ahead of me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so we were both single in seminary. And at that point, we just became really good friends. Yeah. And so our relationship wasn't actually a romantic relationship at all. We were just really, really good friends. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we found out that we had fallen in love with each other, and, <laughs> and so we got married. Yeah,
0: yeah. How many oh, years man. has, has it been now?
1: Thirty-seven years.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Well, that makes sense because
1: so we were. I was ordained on Sunday, and we were married the next Saturday. Oh my! <laughs> so we started ministry. All of my ministry has been with my wife as a partner. In the Salvation Army, both husbands and wives have to be ordained. So oh, if yeah, so if, if I was ordained in a single male and married someone else, I'd have to give up my ordination.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Or she would have to go through seminary right. and be ordained in her own right. Right. So, so both husband and wives in the Salvation Army are both ordained. So the Salvation Army actually has more women pastors than men.
0: Really? That's cool.
1: And three times now we've had our international leaders been a woman. Wow. First time in the 30s. Wow. So, well, one of William Booth's very famous lines is, my best men are women.
0: <laughs> he sounds like a good guy.
1: <laughs> he he was interesting. Yeah. Um, he was a visionary.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: But when my wife and I were having marriage counseling before we got married, mm-hmm. uh, my wife in this little Ohio church where she grew up, Um, These missionaries from Salvation Army missionaries, women missionaries who had served in Africa would come back and talk every year about serving in a missionary and scared my wife to death. And so when we were going through marriage counseling, she said to me, now, Andrew, understand. I love you. I want you to be my husband, but I will never be a missionary. I know that your background and your family background is serving overseas. If you want to do that, we're not getting married. And so we talked about it and I made her a promise. I said, I will never bring this up to you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I will. And that was my promise.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Before in, in the 80s, before we went overseas the first time, we had gone to a Salvation Army service in Canada at a, at a Salvation Army camp. And we got to this evening service a little bit later not late, but it was, it was early, but it wasn't early enough to sit together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so my wife and I both went in and there were no seats together. And so she ended up sitting on one side of the chapel and I sat on the other. And the speaker who was speaking was actually an African officer, Salvation Army officer who was in Canada visiting. And he did this Salvation, this service, evening service. And when it was all over, he said, you know, I want you to know that we are desperately in need of young, white, English-speaking core officers, pastors. And I believe that there are people in this congregation right now who God is calling to serve overseas.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I would say, sitting in my seat saying, hey, God, I'm here. And then I thought, I said, no, I can't say that. I promised my wife I would never bring this up. hmm and God is saying to me, Andrew, I want you to come. And this is one of this was another one of those few times
2: mm-hmm. where
1: God has like it's been almost audible. Yeah. And God said to me, Andrew, I want you to go. Yeah. And I said, but God, I can't. I cannot bring this up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And God said, I don't care. I want you to go.
2: Yeah.
1: And I had this internal struggle. I clearly heard what God was saying to me. And I clearly could not do what God was asking me to do. Right. I mean, we'd only been married a few years. Mm-hmm. This conversation wasn't, you know, it wasn't that long ago.
2: Right.
1: And then finally I gave in to God and I said, God, okay, listen. And I went to the altar and I said to God, God, if you really want to make this happen, you need to, do, you need to work a miracle here because you know what Becky has said.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And this service finished and I've I've made my peace with God saying, God, it's up to you now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I went to look for Becky, and the crowd is huge, and it's a, this big, big chapel and and huge crowd. And I'm trying to find my wife. And finally I see her and I say, Becky, I got to talk to you. And she says, Andrew, I got to talk to you. I said, No, Becky, I've got to talk to you. It's really important. She said, Andrew, shut up. And I said, What? And she said, during the meeting, God spoke to me. And God said, I want you to go to Africa. Mm -hmm. You see, it was really important for us that not that God called me, but God called her.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And that she knew without a shadow of doubt that God had called her too. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: She wasn't going because I was going. Right. She was going because God wanted her there. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And she had something important to do for God.
0: That's a really beautiful story. So then jumping ahead many years from that, how did you come to Asbury?
1: So a few years ago, well, actually, when we came back from Africa this last time,
2: Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. um, my wife has always had scoliosis. So she had spine -hmm. spine problems. And Mm -hmm. it's just kind of in the background. We've always known it. You know, she's had shots. She's had therapy. Mm -hmm. She's had all the kinds of stuff you do but she's always had back problems. And when we came back, the back problems started to get really bad. Bad enough that by the end, um, she was in a power wheelchair. And we went from doctor to doctor, hospital to hospital, kept on escalating and going up from a small local hospital to a bigger regional hospital to a really big regional hospital. And finally they said, you know, she needs major surgery. 20 hours of spine surgery.
0: That's a long time yes it is very long time
1: yes and um they said if we don't do the surgery within five years she'll be paralyzed eventually we went to cleveland clinic
2: mm-hmm. and
1: got a second third actually I guess it was a fourth opinion and cleveland clinic's amazing place and the neur- had neurosurgeon there said listen we need to do the surgery she needs the surgery if we don't do the surgery she'll be paralyzed but understand that of three people who have the surgery, one is paralyzed from the surgery.
2: Oh wow! Those are kind
0: of terrifying, you know, statistics.
1: Yeah, not good stuff to hear. No. And so we prayed about it, and we talked about it, and we decided to go ahead with the surgery. See, if we didn't do the surgery, she's going to be paralyzed anyways.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: It was just a matter of time—five years—and mm-hmm. she'd be paralyzed. And so we couldn't continue to be Salvation Army officers and give her the care that she needed. So I took a year of medical sabbatical. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I was still a Salvation Army officer, but for a year we didn't have an appointment. And my appointment actually was to take care of my wife. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Now we already have our retirement home, it's in Kentucky, it's not far from Asbury. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of wondering what I was gonna do with this year with myself as I was trying to help my wife, as she went through the healing process after this Mm -hmm. massive surgery. And so um, I decided to do a master's at Asbury.
0: <laughs> That's how you rest and relax.
1: Well, I needed something to occupy my mind.
0: Yes, yes.
1: See, I knew that with my personality, if I just sat there, I would obsess about the situation we were in. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I needed something to occupy my mind. Mm-hmm. And so I got a half, of a, pastoral, a half of a master's in pastoral counseling done in that year. How? I did 10 <laughs> classes that year. Wow. and it was amazing yeah how so so I've been a Salvation Army officer for a long time and I have this built-in family in the Salvation Army mm-hmm. and that's very important to me and 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 they love on me and they pray for me and they support me and they help me but during that time I needed more mm-hmm. and the truth was so now most of the classes I've taken I'm older than any of the other students. <laughs> Most of the time, I'm older than the professors. There's only been a few professors who have been my age or old. <laughs> Most of my classes, I'm the oldest in the class.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, it's been beautiful and wonderful. But what I found is, especially in, in the really dark times after the surgery, when, when things were really not well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it was... The Asbury professors, who are my friends,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. who are praying me through the moment, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: who are calling up on me to check to see how my wife was, Mm -hmm. who who were talking with me to say, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing physically? How are you mentally right now? Mm -hmm. They were much more than professors. They were friends. Yeah. And they loved on me in that moment when I really needed that yeah and it was different, I mean, my selfish army friends and 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 comrades were were absolutely doing that as well
0: of course, yes,
1: but it was different,
0: yeah, yeah your and family was, expanded
1: My family expanded at the time when I needed a bigger family.
2: Mhm mm-hmm.
1: and it wasn't that that God wasn't sufficient. it was that God brought in the people that I needed for that moment.
0: Yes, for sure
1: because he knew what I was going through and he knew, he knew what help I needed at that moment. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. So God's a lot smarter than me. (laughs) God actually, you know, when, when God does his miracles, right. We said, wow, I can't believe that God just did that.
2: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Have Mm -hmm. you ever done that?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then we said, what's it? Why am I saying? Wow. I can't believe God did that. This is what he does. That's
0: true. This is who he is.
1: This is his nature. And we're surprised when God works miracles.
0: (laughs) That's true. So you might still be in that season a little bit of healing and recovery from it. But what have you learned about God during this time? Or are you currently learning?
1: So, well, that's a, that's a big question. Yeah. So what I've learned in these last two years is that God doesn't want us to hold on to him. Now, when I say that, people often get this shocked look on their face like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. But God doesn't want us to hold on to him. When we hold on to God, we're using our strength, we're using our power, and that's finite. It finishes, it mm-hmm. ends. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point where we can't hold on anymore
2: mm-hmm. because we have
1: mm-hmm. nothing left.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We have no way to hold on to him anymore. hmm and i found myself I found myself in that position where I could not hold on to God anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I finally my my grasp just let go out of exhaustion,
2: mm-hmm.
1: my strength was gone. I dropped about two inches and found that God's hand was under me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he said, "I've been here all along. I want to hold on to you." But if you want to do that yourself, if you want to hold on to me, that's fine. I'll let you. You know, that's your will. You can do it. Go for it.
2: Yeah.
1: But understand that my hand was here all the time.
0: Yeah, I'm right here the whole time.
1: See, God holds on to us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't need to hold on to Him
2: mm-hmm.
1: because He's already holding on to us.
2: Mm-hmm. I have a
1: granddaughter, and she likes to climb into my lap. Now she plays. She's active. She's a, you know she's a toddler and all of that stuff. And quite honestly, right now, she's at the point where she won't let me give her a kiss, right? Uh Because I'm a guy and it's right. And that's fine. But she'll climb up into my lap. And when she does, she just sits there and looks at me. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't do anything. She just sits there and looks at me. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I discovered that what it is is she wants to be in my presence. She wants to be with granddad. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, we come to the father and we climb into his lap, not to ask anything, not to say anything, not to be anything, just to be in his presence. Yeah. Yeah. And God holds on to us like that. Mm -hmm. He says, if you want to do it on your own, go for it. I've given you free will. You can do your thing. But when you run out, when you're exhausted, Mm. understand that I'm still here.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: See, it's not my strength that makes things happen. In my brokenness, God works miracles. My ministry is really not about what I can do for the kingdom. It truly is what God can do through me. I have to be willing to be God's tool. And then God works miracles. God is in the miracle business. That's who he is. That's what he does.
2: Yeah.
0: Totally.
1: And we're the ones who usually stop the miracles from happening.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Unfortunately, that is also true.
1: So so you ask a, a really deep question there. What have I learned? That's what I've learned this last yeah. couple of years.
0: Yeah. What a what a profound thing to have learned. What a hard thing, I think. To have learned, because letting go doesn't come easy.
1: No, and getting to the point where you can't hold on anymore
2: mm-hmm. doesn't
1: come easy either. No, the the time after the surgery was horrible times,
2: mm-hmm.
1: traumatic times, and there were times when I I just wanted God to take us to heaven, and yet God, in His faithfulness, held on to us through that time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when we came to the point where we are now. Becky hung her walker on the wall and said, I'm not using this walker anymore. And she walked into our office Yay. without the walker. It was a miracle. Yes. Worked through people. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Worked through sturgeons. Yes. But it was God, faithful God, working a miracle. And it changed yes. our lives. Yes.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to be mindful of our time, so we've talked about a great many things. Um, but is there anything else you want to say that I didn't know to ask?
1: No, I, we've had a we've had a good conversation. It's been yeah, fun.
0: I've loved it. I've loved it. So we have one question that we ask everyone who comes on the show. So because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary Podcast, what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now?
1: The contemplation with God, Mm. quiet time with God,
2: Mm -hmm. not
1: where I ask him anything, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: not where I petition for anything, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: not where I tell him a single word, but like with my granddaughter, I just climb into his lap and come into his presence. Mm.
0: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to share just a little bit of your story today. I really enjoyed it. And I know our listeners will as well. So thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Blessings.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Major Andrew Murray. Isn't his story such a gift to us, you guys? I really appreciate the opportunity to have heard just a small portion of it, but to hear him share about God's faithfulness throughout his life and even now in this season. If you enjoyed what you heard, which I hope you did, and if you know him, be sure to tell him thank you so much for being on the podcast today. As always, you can follow Asbury Seminary in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.